0: Julia
1: Amen. Welcome to Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Balvin from Tyler Park, New Jersey. Joining me, as always, my good friends, Rabbi Barry Chester, somewhere in Long Island, and Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanovsky, somewhere in Manhattan, Nanche Chesed. Rabbi Nanche Chesed in New York City. It's great to see you all. Shalom. Today, we are still experiencing the fast of Tisha We are recording this on Thursday, Tisha B'Av. I want to start by uh, just recalling uh, some moments of Tisha and just thinking about uh, this day in our lives, the lives of the Jewish people, the lives of the people that we knew very well at Camp Ramah. I think about the things that we used to break the fast on, but just any reflections that you have just to start off with. We'll start with you, Rabbi Jeremy Kamalowski.
0: Well, I uh I'm I'm glad we're doing this because I Tishabab is a fairly important piece of my, you know, uh repertoire as a religious Jew. I I you know, most of religion as as is appropriate is about uh, affirming wonderful things in the world, affirming moral order, affirming spiritual order. And I think there's something profound at least in my experience, something profound about uh, having to look at the sweep of Jewish history, which includes lots of those wonderful things and lots of failure and lots of exile and lots of pogroms and lots of destruction and lots of, you know, great things of faithfulness and some faithlessness. And so I think that Tisha B'av really does work for me, and I, I, I don't even mind the the fasting. The fasting works for me on a spiritual level. It makes me focus on kind of ugly things. You know, we the three of us. I spent lots of summers, at lots of Tisha B'Av's at camp. I think that Tisha B'Av, I think Jewish summer camp, like, was very, very good for Tisha B'Av uh, because it had all these kids who might not necessarily have made this a part of their lives, but uh, we're all gathered together, and the camp's all program. and I think that sort of gave the holiday some life in American you, Judaism. You could almost say that, yeah, Tisha B'Av, without,
1: t- without summer camp, without Jewish summer camping, there would be no Tisha B'Av, or you could say, the, the way that we experience Tisha B'Av would be markedly different, because we obviously invested so much time and energy in programming for this day. In fact, you know, the kind of conversation that we're having now is uh, an echo of discussions that we would have on Tisha B'Av. Uh, Barry, your reflections on Tisha B'Av.
2: So I, it's a day when I really do miss camp, because on one level, certainly at camp, even people who were not fasting, there was an ambience, an atmosphere of everyone participating in Teshaba of observance, and we don't really have that anywhere. And also there was a program, such as it was. There are things that we did during the day to commemorate the day. So this year, I went to shul, my shul is open, we had we a minion, and then we went home and did keynote by Zoom for about two and a half hours, which was interesting in and of itself. Um, our squad is a great Tisha above Siddur, and um, what struck me is that the day itself doesn't have a lot of structure to it, you're just feeling the pain as it were, you're hungry, you know, it's the middle of the summer, and I think it's exacerbated because at least at camp, I had air conditioning, I don't have air conditioning at home, um, so that there is something important about camp. It's not just that camp has been good for Tisha B'Av, Tisha B'av has been good for camp as well.
1: You know, it's just the, the energy at the end of the, the day, the break, the breaking of the fast, uh, there was no moment like that uh, during the summer. Uh, the eruption of uh, energy, the eruption of uh, all the pent-up you know, desire to be together, Uh, Of course, not everyone passed during the day, but but everyone got together, and that that meal was always an explosion of uh, of ruach and of food and everything. This
0: reminds me, what you're saying now reminds me of the reality that um, religious observance is social. It's stuff you do with other people, and you can do it alone, and you can be really scrupulous about it, but when you do it alone, it's just, it's not... It's not shared and communal. And when you do it in group, even if not everybody is doing it, um, it, it is reinforcing and it's just, it works a ton better. Absolutely, the ritual self, the authentic self, these are the, the, the categories of
1: our experiences. You know, we, we are diminished in, in not being able to have these communal
2: experiences. Right. I would just add that, along with what Jeremy said, the Tisha B'Av is a national day of mourning. It's not a personal day of mourning. We're now mourning our personal losses. We're mourning our losses as a nation, and that's why I think it's essential to be with a community, because the community is the microcosm of the entire Jewish people.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Let's get into the Parsha now. We'll talk about Vayetchanan. Vayetchanan is also, curiously, read on Tisha I want to start out with the beginning of this Parsha, which um, I think it's a very dramatic moment, Moses reports that after being sentenced, banished from the land, that um, he, he pleads with God. You have to read the beginning of this parsha as a plea, I, you know, I, I'm petitioning you God, you've made a sentence over me to not let me get into the land, there's nothing that I want more than to get into the land. And you know, you you've shown me your your greatness, your uh, and who is like you? Ebrana ver Let me just cross over and see it. Let me just get over it. In other words, he he wants to walk inside the land and see it. And be the manchem. God was. How would you cross. translate that? Crossed cross right but it a bear by a bear exactly the same the same for your sake and, and that, that there's such a so many layers there it's for your sake that I should not go into the land with you mm-hmm. I I need to stay back here that's what God is saying God is saying do not go into the land you stay back there and then go up and you'll see it from here in other words The main idea is not crossing over. And um, I think that this is the pivotal moment in the book, the pivotal moment in in Dvarim, because from this point on, it's Moses being the teacher. Moses is telling. It's Moses directing himself to you. I before you. I just want to see if you have...
0: uh, so before, to this moment. Let me ask you a question about that, though. You, 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 so it's the pivotal moment. He goes, and now he's the teacher because he's not going to be the participant. Is that the idea? I think so.
1: I really think so. I think, and and I mean, it's he understands himself at this moment when it, when he is told, "I'm sorry, kilota You're not going to go. you command Joshua. So it's right. over, it's over. And therefore, if you're not going over, then what's your role? What's what's left? Right. So I, th-
2: I think there is a resonance with modern life. In the Israeli army, the leader says, Achari. he tells his soldiers to come after me. And Moses can't do that anymore because he's not going to go into the land. So he is stepping aside to let Joshua and the people go in. And as Elliot said, it's a moment of great pathos. And I'm struck by a comment that Rashi makes. You know, one of the things that we don't always talk about is how the books of the Bible are divided. We've had chapters since the Middle Ages, which originally were Christian, and they don't always seem to divide properly. So chapter four which, Elliot you were referring to, These are the laws and the statutes which I will teach you. So Rashi connects it with what came just before, and he says the reason why you have these laws is if you follow the laws, everything will be forgiven you, Israel that I unfortunately am not worthy of being forgiven. And it's a, a very poignant moment because this is when I think, and it's gonna happen again and again, even in this chapter where Moses is processing that he's not really gonna get into the land. And it's gotta be very difficult because and he, he could look across Although, as later we know, he will go up the mountain to take his final look, he could touch it, but he can't cross.
0: This is this is why, you know, we were talking before the uh, before we went on the air about the uh, the the resonance that this has with every single person's life. Um, Everybody grows old. Everybody goes from center stage to you know to the supporting role that that elders play when younger people are leaders. Um, and so I'm, I'm just imagining that it is a very painful thing for Moshe, and that on the mythic level or the maybe structural level of any storytelling, it's just true about all stories that Moshe and the people who love him have to not identify it with him. I mean, it's why, you know, the Torah is, of course, going to end and say that nobody knows where he's buried, and I, I think we have to read that as the Torah's claim, you know, this really isn't about Moshe, you're going to have to go on, all of you guys, you're going to have to go on post-Moshe. And so I think that the, the, the passage is teaching us that Moshe, I Moshe, even Moshe, the person who is so central in the Torah is going to go to to the margin of the stage.
1: I think that that is so embedded in these texts right here about Ta Yisrael. He turns to Israel, Shema. This is really, I mean, not, maybe not the first time that the, the term Shema is certainly going to be a very important theme in this Parsha and also in all of Dvarim. learn these statutes that I teach you to do so that you will live when you come in and you inherit the land that God. Your God is giving to you. In other words, he is standing in front of them. He is saying, He is now differentiated from them. He is saying, I am no longer going to be a part of you. I can't, and the, and the, the river is the geographic, the temporal, the psychological, and the spiritual boundary be, uh, be, and the political boundary between Moses' leadership, Moses' time, Moses' career, and what's going to be going forward.
2: Right. So the question is, how do you think the people are responding? Are they champing at the bit to get into the land, do you think? Or are they feeling part of Moses' pathos? I think the former rather than the latter. I, I I think mean, that I, it,
1: depends, it depends what kind of person you are. You know, if you're not a sympathetic person, I mean, mind you, you know, this is already an hour into the speech, so you could say, Come on, Moses, you know, it's enough, it's enough. I wanna get in
2: it. other words, I, I, I don't <laughs> think people are being disrespectful, but I think that, you know, they're being differentiated out, as you said, by you know, it's you, 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 and they're saying, Well, we're ready. Well don't don't, and don't Moses is saying, Well, I'm not quite ready to stop talking.
0: But don't yes, this is this is precisely it. Um, y- you were saying, Barry, earlier that the, the choppy way we read the Torah week by week as opposed to, you know, sometimes obscures the narrative flow. Okay, so let's go with the narrative flow for a moment. It's the very end of the book of Bamidbar. Miriam dies. God says, okay, Aaron, you go up the mountain and you die. Okay, Moshe, you're going you're gonna to get Elazar in business, you're going to get Pinchas in business, you're going to get Joshua in business, and you're about to die. We've had 38 years of dying out of the generation. The whole point is new generation, new task, new story, new leader. I don't do. Doesn't that make you emotional? I would get emotional. Of course it does.
1: Of course it does. I okay, <laughs> you know, I think obviously there's a texture to this, to the, to the people. I'm, 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 I'm let's let's use our congregations as an example, okay? I'm sure that in, in any cohort of people, there are people that are going to say, i have enough, okay? Let's go move on. And there are people who are sentimental, who are romanticists, and and who are People who have a great degree of sympathy, empathy, and leap into you know Moses's character and say, "I feel, I feel bad for you. I, I wish that you could come with us."
0: You know yeah, the, I, I uh, the, the the of course the very the tail end of Devarim describes Moses' death, and that produces the you know produces the textual problem. Well, if Moshe wrote the Torah. Who wrote the last bit? And so the so the midrash says that that Moshe wrote the final twelve verses describing his death. Uh, pick that up again. <laughs> okay. Uh, so of course Dvarim ends with Moshe's death, and that produces the, the textual problem of who wrote sure. the end of Dvarim. That's right. Because it describes Moses' death and his subsequent the mourning and everything. And so the, the Hazal say, the sages say that he wrote the last twelve verses Bidima in tears. Yeah. And I think it's really a beautiful little midrash because you you could read it as either saying he wrote the last 12 verses while crying, or the substance in which his quill was dipped was tears. Uh, and so you could say that, for all these reasons that we're saying, the whole book of Devarim is written in tears, because Moshe knows this is the last moment and the last round. Now, it's kind of long, but, <laughs> but that's another matter. All right. So
1: Let's go to some of the major moments in this parsha. Uh, we need to talk about Mahmud Har a little bit. The, the the reiteration of the Ten Commandments. Uh, what is Moses doing here? Why is he trying to uh, reiterate the Ten Commandments? What 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 place does the Ten Commandments have here in this discourse? Obviously, he's saying to the people, "Look, you know, I'm I'm recalling to you the great events of." Of Yitziat Mitzrayim of, of coming out of Egypt, um, and these are the things that I want you to remember. I want you to uh, understand this covenant. V'shamarta tchukav mishpatav leman yitav Asher yitavlah harecha, so that it will be good. tarich yamim so that you will lengthen your days uh, on the land that God is giving to you. All of the days. Okay.
0: I think that the key thing here is Lo et Avotenu Karat Adunai et Habrit Hazot Ki Itanu Anachnu Elupo Kulanu chayim. Chapter five verse three. Okay. Yeah. Translate the, the uh, it's not something that happened to our ancestors back then alone. We too are party to this covenant, we here are alive. So even in Bible times, even within the Bible, the, the, this most essential Jewish thing of how do we teach a new generation to care about this just as much as we have is still alive. Is still a major mission of the Bible because Moshe is saying to them, now you might think that your grandparents experienced something important and you are, you know, that was really about them and not about you. And we spent 38 years traveling around and now a bunch of them are dead. Uh, for a new, you know, a new mission, a new opportunity for you, but you have to feel connected to the most important thing that happened to them, and so I'm going to repeat this to you. You're right. going to hear what they heard, even if you weren't there. Go, take, take the next verse. Panim befanim,
1: Adonai God spoke face to face. To you. To you. omed ben Adonai I stood between you and God. Wait, I hear that time. So there's a, and then so there's a, great,
2: there's a great comment of the cluster who says that it stands between us and God is the ego, that when we think too much about ourselves, it negatively affects our relationship with God. Yeah. And I've always liked that comment. Um, for yourself. <laughs> well, actually more for everyone else. But <laughs> really? It's not my narcissism that we're talking about. <laughs> I okay, yeah, okay yeah, you know, we can talk personally. It's true for me as well. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times we let who we think we are get in the way of a lot of other things that are important to us, including the people who we love most. Um, and this is cautionary. You know, one of the things that is God is described as an ash. And he was speaking through fire. So earlier was, it's a consuming fire, a jealous God or a zealous God. But what occurred to me is that when we go back to the very beginning of Moses' meeting with God, there is a burning fire, but it's the sna Inanu that that the consuming fire doesn't consume the, the bush. Right. And yet the people are afraid of being consumed by this fire. They need to back away. And there's this great tension. Um, And I think that this goes back to our earlier conversation, because here it becomes necessary for Moses to be perceived as the intermediary between God and the people. He's going to run interference if we want to borrow a sports analogy. Um, And that also heightens his, His departure because the peoples need him now, and he will not, he cannot be there. And
1: how necessary is it? And of course, you know, religious culture builds on this whole notion of the intermediary. I'm thinking, of course, you know, in Hasidic culture, the, the, the tzaddik or the rebbe functions in that way, in Catholic culture, the priest functions that way. I, you know, we don't like to be understood that way, but obviously some people project that upon rabbis uh, today, that that we we are uh, in some way representative, we we stand as intermediaries, none of us would ever take that mantle upon ourselves, or maybe I speak for myself, I don't know. I
2: don't
1: know about you, but. uh, No. (laughs) okay. Okay. So yeah, so, I think that right yeah
0: think, no,
1: um, so, so so we we go on, we're moving from the Ten Commandments to to some very important texts and we have to reflect on the text that is recited every day uh, the Shema Israel text is in this parsha chapter six verse four in the context of Moses' speeches he's basically saying look, I mean, not look, like, here, Shema Israel. here, God is one. When you teach this, and when you think about it, and when you daven it, uh, what are some of the things that, that you think about? What is? What do you want to convey when you teach this? What do you want to think about when you recite it?
0: You know, th- this text, it, I think is a measure of a text's greatness as poetry, that it doesn't, mean one thing, right? If, and if you say it means one thing, that's just kind of superficial. It's got so many so many nuances and so many harmonics. And so, you know, when I dub in it, I, 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 I feel for myself that I have, like, um, so to speak, uh, different kinds of item in the repertoire, maybe different instruments in the band that I can play this song on. So on a theological level, I like to think about the oneness of God, you know, in all existence, Um, on an interpersonal level. I'm really into the fact that this is a communication from Moses to the fellow Jews. It's not really vertical between—God's not speaking, it's Moshe, And, and, you know, when these things which I command you this day, it's Moshe who's speaking, right? Um, so I try, one of the things that I like about the Shema, and encourage people to say as they daven, is you are speaking, when you say Shema Yisrael, you're not speaking to God. You're speaking to your fellow Jews, trying to give them um, an affirmative message that will touch their hearts. Perry, what kinds of things go through your mind?
2: You know, I, I find the concept of oneness to be difficult to uh, to understand. Um, and you know, I'm reminded sometimes of the beginning of the Zohar where something is described as being with no color. Well, it can't be black, it can't be white, and, and yet it has no color. And it's hard for us to understand that. But what I come back to is that I don't think that the Torah is that mysterious, so it must have something to say to me that was intended, and I think that you know the, the oneness of God is something I continue to struggle with I think that there's
1: there's just obviously so much going on there i I, I relate to the word vahafta lately i've been very captivated by the idea that Ahavat does not only mean love, it means loyalty. And that what is being asked of us in this passage is to not have necessarily reflect our express our emotion to God, but is to reflect our behavior. And that our loyalty should be demonstrated with every ounce of our being. Uh, And that when you have that, Uh, and you experience that, you live that, the greatest necessity of a human being is to transmit that to another generation. Like you said, Jeremy, I mean, this is about, about standing here at this moment and understanding that you have an obligation to teach your children. Look at the text itself, you know, all texts have, you know, they're compressed in a certain way and if you just hone in on the center The center word of this text is vishinantam. It's the the fulcrum, the transition moment of that paragraph of the Shema. And it's, it's, it's really not an accident. Love, loyalty, doesn't mean anything unless you can transmit it. And here, how are you asked to transmit it? You're asked to transmit it. When you walk, when you dwell in your house, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, namely at the very limits of your consciousness. It's supposed to be with you always at every waking moment, going in and all the sensitive times of your life, uh, dwelling in your house, walking in your way. And then of course, it's not limited to transmission. It's, you have to symbolize it through visual symbols. We don't, we can't live without them. And and uh, these are, you know, this is such a powerful uh, moment in, in Moses' discourse, of course, the Shema takes on its own life in Judaism. You know, when do we read it? When do we read it in the morning? When do we read it in the evening? There's a whole Masechet built, you know, whole chapters of Mishnah built on on the very rules relating to the Shema. The recitations itself are, uh, you know, function as the, the center of our liturgy.
0: The comments. I comments. I feel like the oneness and love themes you know, um, without being uh, without being um, too grand about this, you know th- those things actually come to me quite easily. Um, the sense of um, the unity, the weave of all existence, and you know, when when you take the letters of the divine name, Yud Hey it's customary. People often refer to that as Shem Havaya. You just put the letters together in a different order um so you're not violating the the sanctity of the name itself you say Shem havaya which means the name of existence and i my in my own religious life and spiritual life i i think that that's just very captivating and very expressive that that all that exists participates and i, I do very think that the torah is mysterious um i do think that it points beyond you know to the ocean beyond where we can typically get and that's and that's why a passage like the one that you referenced from from the holy zohar is is actually so compelling because there are mysterious colors and we know this actually in a way scientifically that people could we know that there are colors that are infrared and ultraviolet that our own particular eyes are not well suited to see but the colors are there and i i think of religion as pointing to some of those infrareds and ultraviolets and uh, and, you know, uh, super high frequencies or super low frequencies that uh, we otherwise can't quite get. And I, and I do feel the loyalty part, I, I I get that, too. But I also think that it emerges because of a sense of passionate love um, to look at the world and just fall in love with it and to look at and to see the God within and fall in love. Uh, I'm I'm. I'm blessed that I I, I got that. I, I sort of kind of all I get. I once had a congregant say, "I don't get this whole, you know, address yourself to the universe thing." And I said to her, "Well, that's kind of like the only thing that I get." So,
1: <laughs> well, no, she, she we can relate to her. She's she's thinking about practical terms, practical relationship. Well, love love is uh, central, obviously. Um, and Moshe makes mention of the the fact that it's not only that you should love God, it's because God loves you. Um, that ki me'ahavat Adonai etchem, which is uh, at the end of
0: the parsha in right. a couple of minutes. Not because you are so many. This is the great line. Right. Lo mi Not because you are so many because you're the smallest people i love
1: that <laughs> it's chapter 7 verse 7 you're not the biggest god it wasn't that he was so passionate about you because you were so numerous and chose you you're the you're the little but he was it's because he left you right at the end of the day you know, so so this book is a love love story, then, right? Maybe we should be. Maybe I maybe I should kind of, you know, allow the romantic uh, to emerge from this rather than just the fierce loyalty.
0: <laughs> this is a love song. Well,
2: loyalty is part of romantic love as well. Indeed,
0: indeed. I, ideally, actually, I I think that that's quite correct, and um, and I like just to to take the you know very. Home, very whatever you know, human eros and fidelity kind of image. Like loyalty is good and fidelity is good. And and pshat, by the way, I'm sure our many listeners know that that, that in a sense, the pshat of Shmaysra Adonai Adonai echad means love Adonai Elohenu only. Right? Just you can you can only have one God. It, the Bible isn't isn't perhaps yet in a high theological register of the unity of all existence. Um, But but why should you be loyal to your spouse and be faithful to your spouse? Because you love them! (laughs) And and there is an emotional and spiritual connection that, that awakens in you the desire to care for them. And betrayal, betrayal means to trample on a relationship that is otherwise precious. You know, betrayal if I, I can't betray a stranger. I don't owe anything to a stranger. I don't have a sacred relationship such that if I do something mean to a stranger, it may not be nice, but it's not betrayal. Betrayal means we're connected, we're bound, we have a breach, and that's why you should honor it. Let's talk for a
1: second just uh, you know, to, to try and move to the fact that this is Shabbat Nachamu, and that, that in the sense of the rupture of the relationship that... that May Tisha B'av may be reflective of that. There, for this week and for the you know for the seven weeks that follow now, uh, it's one constant um, pageant of repair, of coming together, of bringing that rupture, trying to 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 sew it together, to to sew this relationship together. In a way, you know, it's, it's not an accident that this book is really a book about love uh, and that the themes of comfort, which uh, are parallel in the afterthought of these weeks are going to, are going to uh, accompany us uh, from here until uh, Rosh Hashanah. Barry,
2: think about it. Well, this. you cannot live without hope. Um, Victor Frankl, the great uh, psychologist in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, suggested that the people that had the best chance for survival in the camps were people who had something to live for. And in our religious universe, we call that hope. And if the Jews could not have developed or redeveloped a sense of hope, that would have been the end of the religion. You know, that's one of the things that, that the fact that we could have Tisha Requires the Shabbat Nachamu after it yeah. in order to give Tishabah sense. Otherwise, we would end up being part of another people and another narrative because that would have been the destruction. Right. You know, Shabbat Nachamu is the day after.
0: Jeremy, Nachamu, Nachamu. That's ben. it. I, I, I can't add anything. There you go. Okay.
1: Well, we've come to the conclusion of our time together. We want to thank our listeners. We got a few there. We're really proud of them. So thank you for listening and thank you for watching. I know
0: I get I get, I get emails from you. I, I'm grateful to you guys. Thank you. It's really really lovely.
1: So we want to wish everyone a, a. We're still fasting. Finish off your fast. Have a good day tomorrow. Good day. A good Shabbos. Shabbat Nachamu. Let it be a restorative Shabbat. A blessed Shabbat to all our friends in our different communities. Shabbat Shalom to our special friends in Machan Arama. Shabbat Shalom too. See you next week on another edition of March and Talk. See you next week.